0: Welcome to The Breakdown with James Lankford, where Oklahoma Senator James Lankford discusses policy issues in Congress. Thank you for listening today. This is The Breakdown. This is Senator James Lankford from Oklahoma back with another episode of The Breakdown. The Breakdown is an opportunity to take some of the big news topics of the day, break them down into very small, understandable moving parts. Our goal, as always, is to make you the smartest kid at the water cooler in your office. If you get to even go to your office, it may be just the smartest kid at your refrigerator at this point in your own house. So glad you're tuning in to be able to come enjoy this conversation. We've had conversations this year on impeachment, on Iran, on COVID 19 in the very earliest days of this, on what is it, on racial reconciliation. Today, we're dealing with Hong Kong and China and the uh, recent uh, very aggressive actions of the Chinese Communist Party and uh, what is occurring there. This is a, a topic you're hearing probably a little bit on the news, but you could you should probably hear a little bit more, and there's an awful lot in the background on this. So we're going to spend some time walking through the economic, the political, the trade issues, help you understand a little bit more about Hong Kong, and again, try to make you the smartest kid in your, in your group uh, as we get a chance to be able to go through this. Uh, It is very important to us uh, that uh, we get a chance to be able to talk about free speech and free expression because that's the first challenge of the Hong Kongers and the folks that are there. And joining us today is former ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, who's also former governor of South Carolina, Nikki Haley. So, Nikki, if I'm introducing you to the people of Oklahoma, should they call you ambassador? Should they call you governor? What should they call you?
1: They should call me Nikki. Those were moments in time, so it's just <laughs> Nikki, and it's great to be with you. Thanks so much for having
0: us. I'm very grateful that you've joined us today. You've got a tremendous amount of insight and break uh, that you can help us on the breakdown on this to be able to walk through these issues. Uh, so thanks for being a part of this today. Uh, for all of you that are listening for this first time on it, if you want to be able to subscribe to the breakdown, you can do that on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud. We'll make sure that we send you the ping uh, to let you know when the new one is coming. Uh, but this one, we're glad that you have joined us today uh, to be able to talk a little bit about Hong Kong. So let me set a little bit of context on this. Uh, pe- pe- some people don't know where Hong Kong is and what's the big difference on this and what's the big deal. I've run to some people say, hey, Hong Kong's just another city in China, or Hong Kong is some separate country, or Hong Kong's just like Taiwan, or Hong Kong's just like Japan. Uh, I've heard it all with this. Let me give you just a little glimpse of a background. For 150 years, Hong Kong was a British colony. And as a British colony, they functioned underneath British rule. Uh, But in 1985, the British government and the Chinese government uh, started a process of transitioning uh, Hong Kong into being a freestanding, autonomous, free, democratic region uh, that would be connected to China, but that would function autonomously for 50 years. So that was to go from 1997 until 2047. Uh, Hong Kong has its own legislature. It's a unicameral legislature, different than ours, which has a house and the Senate. They just have one legislative body. They have executives. They have free elections. They have free speech. uh, They have freedom of the press. They have freedom of assembly. Uh, they, They function where China would say one country, two systems. But the people of Hong Kong, there's seven and a half million of them, but what they call Hong Kongers, those folks live very different than the people on the other side of the border in that the Hong Kongers have absolute freedom, the same as we have in the United States. Uh, If they have a problem with their government, they can speak out. If they want to have free press, uh, they can certainly have that. They have free access to the Internet. Uh, Just on the other side of the border, there's not free access to the Internet. Uh, So there's a lot of things that are happening in Hong Kong that was locked in to be there until 2047, until just a few weeks ago. Now, Beijing uh, has slowly pushed on the Hong Kongers because they've been very focused on maintaining their freedom, but as the entire world is focused on COVID-19, China is using this moment to sweep into Hong Kong and to be able to take over Hong Kong. They've uh, implemented a new, what they call, a national security law uh, in Hong Kong, which makes secession, subversion, terrorism, foreign intervention, or what they call outside intervention, uh, absolutely illegal, and then with that, they have started rounding up teachers, journalists, protesters. Uh, They've already been imprisoned or punished, uh, and they're quickly beginning the process of shutting down their access to the outside world. What is a dramatic shift and a break of a promise uh, for China as they're sweeping into Hong Kong and being able to take over this area and to be able to dominate it, even moving their police forces in uh, to be able to implement this. All this happened without uh, the, uh, the Hong Kongers allowing this without a vote. Uh, it is an, an enormous shift for the free people that are there. So the first big question that I really get from Oklahomans, Nikki, in this process is, okay, those are the facts, but it's the other side of the world. What, 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 why should Americans really care about the seven and a half million Hong Kongers? Why, why should we really care what's going on with them? And is this important to us uh, that we should pay attention to it?
1: Well, I think, Senator Yun, the thing is, everybody should have that God-given right to be able to speak freely, live freely, and, um, you know, and be able to express themselves. And I think where this all started was in 2019, the Hong Kong leader, Carrie Lam, proposed a new extradition law that would basically infringe on the due process rights of Hong Kongers, allowing Hong Kong residents to be extradited to the mainland of China for trial. and That's what really spurred this up. And so here they should have equal rights, freedom of speech, all that. And they've enjoyed that. But in 2019, this one moment is what led to the Umbrella Movement. All of those protests that we saw on TV where Hong Kongers were out there with their umbrellas protesting, being extradited to China. It got up to about a million people um, and really embarrassed. China, because they were trying to do this under the radar. They were trying not to get noticed. And really, the only thing that stopped it was COVID. And so, what you've seen is China has been at their worst because during this coronavirus, while we were all just trying to save lives, while the entire world stood still at one given moment, China got incredibly aggressive. They started arresting these protesters while no one was looking. They started showing aggression in the South China Sea, where a third of shipping goes through. Um, They started really using um, bullish behavior in the way they were dealing with um, a million Uyghurs that they have in concentration camps. So they have used this time of coronavirus to really push their way. And what we're seeing is the freedoms of Hong Kongers are just being infringed upon. And what I'm happy about is that the United States has really acted. Um, and acted quickly, which is what we needed to do. You know, I think last week the president signed an executive order that ended the preferential economic treatment that we were giving to Hong Kong. I mean, right. Hong Kong's been a financial, vibrant hub for a long time.
0: Yeah, the United we States is Hong down. Kong's number two trading partner. We get $3 billion worth of goods from Hong Kong every year. It's a, it's a big deal.
1: And, it, and that money flowed. To China as well, so it does hurt China that we hurt the, you know, that we stop the preferential status. And then, you know, we started doing that back in June, and that really kind of affected our exports of defense products, high tech products. And then we also said last week, Senator Toomey, he signed and President signed and enacted Hong Kong's autonomy act, and that allows us to impose sanctions on Chinese individuals and banks that are peeling away Hong Kong's freedoms and and that national security law. Um, on on the Uyghurs, two days ago, the United States sanctioned 11 Chinese companies over the human rights abusers, abuses of, of Uyghurs. Um, and then two weeks ago, the United States imposed sanctions on several Chinese officials um, for their human rights abuses um, on the Uyghurs. So the goal of all of this and the reason why Hong Kong matters is because – if China gets away with what they are doing to the people of Hong Kong, Taiwan is next. Right, And this is just a movement that we're starting to see. So we have to fight for the people of Hong Kong. We have to fight for their freedoms. They can't fight for themselves now. And the more we do this, the more the world will latch on and follow the lead of the United States.
0: Yeah, the United States has been an exporter of values uh, for two centuries now, and this basic value of every person has human rights given to them by God, that they have the freedom of speech, they have the freedom of press, they have the freedom to assemble, they have the freedom to disagree with their government. Uh, That was a radical idea 250 years ago. Uh, But when that idea was birthed out of the United States, other uh, authoritarian regimes and monarchies at the time all started and said, that will never work, we have instead made the largest, most prosperous economy in the history of the world and a peaceful people that absolutely disagree with each other, publicly disagree with other things, but work it out. And uh, for the Chinese communist government, they're not interested in anyone disagreeing with them. And when anyone disagrees with them, even if it's the free people of Hong Kong, they've obviously shown no restraint uh, to be able to just move in and to be able to impose their will on that. And if they can do that there... And they continue to spread their communism and authoritarianism around Asia Uh, that becomes a bigger and bigger threat to the free people around the world. People want to live free. Uh, They've seen what that means to be able to live free and to be able to take that away from someone uh, eliminates the hope that people have around the world of also living free. And uh, so it is a very significant thing in our values and for individual people. And if you care just about human rights and dignity and don't want to see Muslim Uyghurs locked up in concentration camps like they are in China and to be able to see that imposed on the free people of Hong Kong, it matters to people. Uh, Nikki, let me ask you about you this. You, know, and I go saw ahead.
1: this I, one more point. I saw this at the United Nations. It was really interesting to see other ambassadors would come up to me and talk about how envious they were that we had freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to protest, all of that. And they really relied on us to lead on this, because when they couldn't within their own country speak up on this, they wanted us to be loud, because the louder we were, the more opportunity and and chances of hope they had that their countries would follow suit. So us fighting for the people of Hong Kong is not something we do because Americans believe in it. It's something we do because the world is watching,
0: yeah. and
1: if we do this, they will follow, and that's what our hope is. That's where we hope this
0: takes us. Yep, and it does matter uh, to people all around the world as they watch that. So you, working as the ambassador of the U.N. had to be a fascinating and exceptionally frustrating job. People talk to me all the time about being a senator and say that would drive me crazy being a senator. Everything slow, is being tedious. In the back of my mind, I would often think it's it's better than working at the U.N., Uh, Because, uh, you know, being a senator is slow and tedious and frustrating, but working at the U.N., I cannot imagine. But you also kind of got to see behind the veil of what China is doing at places like the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank and some of the ways they're getting into these U.N. organizations and multilateral organizations. Very strategic in the way that they're trying to do this to be able to influence the rest of the world. What did you see in some of that?
1: Well, the United Nations is not for the faint at heart, that's for no. sure. And I, you know, I often say that um, every day it felt like I was putting on body armor because I knew I'd have a fight. I just didn't know which country I'd be fighting that day. Um, but what was interesting about China was there was a transformation that happened during my time at the United Nations with China. Initially, they were very quiet. They were very polite. They didn't want any disagreements in public. Um, and and just moved strategically but quietly. But after um, President Xi of China created a law that basically made him king for life, Mm -hmm. literally once he made that move, everything changed. You saw aggression coming from Chinese on everything. Suddenly um, they were... Um, having disagreements publicly. They were pointing their fingers in countries' faces, saying, you better listen to us. Um, And, you know, we have to look at the strategic plan of China. Why are we so concerned about China? Why do we think China is a national security threat? It is because of a few things within their strategy. First, they are strengthening their military, and that's a national security threat to us. Um, They have become a terrible human rights abuser. Um, Literally, when we talked about the Uyghurs, this is a million Muslims that they have in concentration camps that they rally up. They use forced sterilization, forced labor. They make them change their names, change their religions, change the way they think. Um, It's a terrible human rights abuse, yet no one calls them out for this. They started a program And you'll hear it called the Belt and Road Initiative. But basically what this did was the Chinese went in and they went to these small countries and said, we will give you money to do infrastructure projects in your country. But what they're doing is they're running up the debt so much that these countries won't be able to pay it back. Now, if you looked at a map of where they had put this money and these projects, and then you look at the fact that when this debt runs up that these countries can't can't pay it back, China's going in saying, okay, then give us your military installation. Right. Give us your power plant. And then you look at a map, and it will send a chill up your spine. Go another step further, President Xi started a committee that he chairs a couple of years ago. He started this, that he chairs, and it says any company that does business in China— has to cooperate with the Chinese military. Now, think about the tech companies. Think about our data. Think about the data of Oklahomans that China will now have, and think about what they could do with that. That's the risk and the threat that you have. And then you have, um, and we're seeing this play out in the news yesterday and today, you have the Chinese who have started these Confucius Institutes, which you'll see they're renaming them. But basically, they go in and they put money into colleges and universities, and they send these people in, they spy on our students, they spy on our research, and they push propaganda out. Right. And that's why we also need to be looking at universities saying, how much money are you taking from the Chinese Communist Party, and what are you giving in return? Yeah, there's no question. no is question. on the news.
0: Yep, they, yeah, there's no this question. This is on
1: that- the news from the— Absolutely. Go ahead.
0: No, I was just going to say that there's no question that there's a goal that the communist uh, government has in China to be able to get to universities across the United States and to be able to literally put professors and teachers uh, there and and uh, endowed faculty at the end of it to be able to say we want to be able to put the Chinese communist perspective on every university campus across America. And uh, for all those locations, those universities need to be able to awaken to that. This is something I've talked about. I've run bills on. Uh, You've talked about it at length. Multiple others have talked about it at length uh, to be able to say, we we can't tell a university what to do and what they're going to teach, but people should wake up that are around universities. And to be very, very clear, you've allowed a communist influence on your campus and given them free reign and access to research materials, researchers, scientists, and also students.
1: Well, and then you know recently in the news you've seen that we've closed down the the consulate the Chinese consulate in Houston right. because it was a spy center so when you think of the Chinese think of the fact that they're spying they're on this strategic mission those are all the reasons you need to care about China those are all the reasons you see everyone's kind of up in arms they've been stealing intellectual property um you know for years but recently we saw that they even hacked into the research that that we as Americans are doing on the coronavirus they've hacked into our vaccine plans so that they can see where we are and see if they can feel it China's just not a good actor right now and we have to make sure that we are kind of on them and that's why Hong Kong matters is anything that we do with China we need to let them know we're on to them we need to let them know that we're not going to be naive anymore because for too long um, administrations Republican and Democrat thought that if we were nice to China, that they would start acting more like the West. Right. But that's never—it doesn't matter how good we are to China. They want to be communist. This is who they are at their core. And so we're not going to see that change. But that's why we have to make sure we're not continuing to allow them to infringe on us.
0: Yeah, the, the prevailing belief for the longest time was if there's more trade happening with China— Uh, Then that more trade that they'll see freedom, they'll see Western uh, economies, they'll be more interested in Western economies, they'll see Hong Kong thriving and think mainland China should function more like Hong Kong because it's so successful and that will win over the hearts of the Chinese leaders. Now, it is winning hearts of the Chinese people. But the Chinese people don't have the opportunity to be able to speak out against it because they live in the surveillance state uh, that's imposed to them by the Chinese dictatorship that's there and by the Communist Party that's there. And so the party sticks very close to that, and they'll be glad to take the wealth that they're getting or that they're stealing or that they're getting from Western economies uh, and to be able to use that to be, continue to be able to screw the the thumbs down uh, harder and harder onto uh, their people. And so that's been very difficult. You, you mentioned on the military, on Chinese military as well. It's not just that they're building up a military, is it? It's that they're building up a military to confront the United States. It's one thing to say, we want to be a stable country. Every country in the world tries to be able to provide for basic security of their country, but it's different when you're providing for basic security, or like we do, to provide for security of the navigation of the seas, and so the economy flows worldwide and there's, there's peace on the seas as well. That's not what we're seeing from China, especially in areas like space, uh, where China has invested so much money uh, in space technology and space warfare.
1: Well, and China wants to dominate. I mean, they absolutely want to dominate the United States. Um, they want to take over as the major power in the world. And, you know, you had asked earlier about multilateral organizations. You know, when we talk about China, and you've heard this with, you know, whether it's the World Health Organization or the United Nations, you know, the dues that China pays in all of the, these multilateral organizations, they pay dues of a, quote, developing country. Right. China's far from a developing country. They're the second largest economy in the world. They should be paying dues of that. And so that's why when you hear, um, you know, many times the president or members of Congress saying China needs to be paying their fair share, it's because they pay so little. And so when you look at that, they're dominating, whether it's space, they're dominating by making sure they get Chinese um, leaders within UN multilateral organizations that they can control. They were able to control Pedro, who was the head of the World Health Organization, who delayed us finding out about the human to human transmission. They have um, put people in the UN that are in charge of agriculture over the United Nations. They almost, believe it or not, got someone in charge of intellectual property, and that was defeated That's just laughable. Um, at the UN. But, but they are continuing to do that. But when, you know, earlier when I was talking about how this affects American companies that do business in China, When we were all trying to survive, China actually went to American companies, 3M and Honeywell, that manufacture in China, manufacture the protective equipment, the masks and all the things that we needed, and told them that they literally, in January, could not export any masks to any country. They bought them wholesale from those two American companies and then only gave them to countries that agreed to work with their 5G network, Huawei. That's how strategic they are. That's how conniving they are. And those are examples of how it affected Oklahomans, how it affected Americans, that when they knew this virus was bad, they hoarded that equipment, and then they wouldn't even let American companies send it to America. That's why we have to care about this. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And we have to be attentive to our supply chains. And I think a lot of people have awakened to, you you can't trust the the communist Chinese uh, to be your source for pharmaceuticals, for PPE, uh, for uh, uh, rare earth minerals, all these things were very dependent. And everyone's awakened to say, we have a problem and uh, the problem's bigger. And there are many of us, you have been saying it for a long time. I've been saying it for a long time to say, we're vulnerable, we're vulnerable, we're vulnerable. But a lot of folks have said, hey, we're co-connected as an economy, they would never use that leverage point. We just watched them use that leverage point for the first time. Uh, Literally when life was on the line, uh, they used as a leverage point protective equipment uh, to be able to try to influence policy. So we've got to be able to stay aware of that. Can I shift topics a little bit on this? You've done some writing recently about the whole cancel culture and about speech and how we speak to each other. This directly connects to Hong Kong Because this is the Chinese government jumping into the middle of Hong Kong and eliminating their speech and saying, we're going to choose how you speak now we by far our nation is not doing that our government is not trying to limit people's speech Uh, when there's when there's a conversation about any topic in america we have the constitutionally protected right to be able to peacefully assemble and to be able to address our government to be able to speak out the people of hong kong are losing that freedom very very quickly if we don't engage to be able to do that but even here in america uh, folks like uh, even president obama made comments about this cancel culture and about trying to be able to silence other people or to feel like you're an activist because you make other people be silent. Uh, Obviously, President Trump has spoken on this a lot. You've spoken on this. The freedom to be able to speak out and to be able to disagree for some reason is being lost in America. And as stewards of the freedom of speech that we have, we should model this and encourage people with a difference of opinion. But right now, culturally, there's a conversation about silencing people that have a difference of opinion. How do we address that?
1: Well, you know, cancel culture is doing real damage to our democracy. It's ripping America apart at a time where we should be coming together. Um, I've said our society is built on the values of free speech and mutual respect. But what we're seeing with cancel culture is that rejects both of them. In place of free speech, it's demanding conformity. Instead of mutual respect, it's tearing people down. And it shows that it's actually causing... um, a, you know, really impacting people. And the fact that there was a poll that just came out that 67% of Americans feel like they can't express what they really feel. Hmm. And so when you've got a small minority that's being loud, that's shouting people down, it's actually keeping others from expressing what they feel out of fear. That's not America. That shouldn't be America. And we shouldn't let that happen. So we have to put an end to this cancel culture. We want people to protest. We want them to give their views and we don't mind if their views are different. I think that's, you know, that's America. That's what makes us great. But when you start causing real damage by shouting people down, putting fear of their life into them, making them feel like they can't express, something has to be done. And, you know, we see that with the lawlessness that's happening in Portland and in Chicago and you know, all of these things that are happening. We're a country of laws. The second you stop being a country of laws, you lose everything this country was right. was defined on. And so we have to really take this cancel culture seriously. And we can't continue to let them get away with just this abuse and this lawlessness that they're starting to do to, to you know, you almost wonder if it's even about anything anymore. Right. Um, but no, it's, terribly dangerous and and we have to really stand up and say we're not going to have it anymore
0: yep and we should allow people to be able to express differences i i um i referred a couple of times to george orwell's uh, 1984 and that the the young people in that book are described as the the trained spies uh, that Big Brother used to be able to constantly look out and to be able to report if someone didn't agree and they would be turned in and they would be confronted and that there was always this fear that there are people listening to conversations to be able to go eliminate your point of view if it disagreed uh, with Big Brother in that book. And it, it's frightful to be able to see a culture that's rising up in the United States that really just says, I'm going to listen in, and if I don't agree with someone else, I'm going to find some way to be able to silence them It doesn't encourage growth as a nation, and quite frankly, it's not even what liberal education is even designed to do, to provide a multitude of opinions and ideas. Uh, That's what's going to continue to make us stronger is have a multitude of opinions and ideas, and then we come to unity at the end of it and keep growing uh, as we go from there. So I I know it's not Hong Kong-related, but it seems connected to us just being stewards of, uh, of uh, freedom, and uh, especially this freedom of speech, freedom of faith, freedom of the press. Uh, we should allow people to have differences there. If I can ship back, we're gonna run out of time well, in a hurry. I could talk to you for yeah. a long time on this, Nikki, but I-, I wanna be able to ask the hard question, now what? China's rolled into Hong Kong. They've imposed this security. They're locking up teachers. They're locking up journalists. They're arresting protesters. Uh, They're shutting off access. Uh, Tim Kaine and I have uh, created a bill that deals with Internet freedom for the people of Hong Kong, using uh, some of our federal resources to make sure the people of Hong Kong can continue to communicate with each other online and continue to get their pictures and videos out of Hong Kong. Because if you're in China right now, the only pictures and videos that leave China are the ones that the Chinese government approves of, and the only conversations that happen online in China are those that the Chinese government approves of because they're all monitored, they're all inspected, and they have what the great firewall is, what they call it, around China to protect them. They will quickly move that into Hong Kong and will shut down dialogue there as well and shut down pictures and videos and the truth coming out of hong kong so only the chinese version is what will leave so i feel like it's very important that we allow the people of hong kong to continue to communicate out so we've done sanctions we're doing trade things we're going to try to help get the voices out of hong kong so the truth is getting out there what else can we do or should we do to be able to help the free people of hong kong
1: well i first applaud you on that legislation because i will tell you that while um some you know don't really see the emphasis and the importance of the internet in Hong Kong. The reason why this legislation matters so much is this is their only lifeline. This is their only lifeline to the real world to know what's going on in the world, to know what China's really doing, for them to know um, what to expect and, and how to protect themselves. And so them having internet, you know, really does matter. But where do we go next? It's a couple of things. You know, first of all, I think trying to stand up for the people of Hong Kong is going to continue to matter. Um, I think making sure that we push back on China at every single stop, from from their spying to their propaganda to their um, cheating, you know, any of those things, their human rights abuses, we should push back on them. It embarrasses them. They don't like being called out. That's all the more reason we need to do it. And, you know, I found out at the United Nations, that what really works against China, but any country, is when you put pressure on their money, hmm. because that's what feeds the power. That's what feeds what's going on. And so the fact that we sanction when we see something wrong, the fact that we, you know, have put tariffs when they start to steal intellectual property, the fact that we are, um, you know, changing the status of Hong Kong, all of that eats away at the Chinese economy and pulls away from their strength. So. We need to start bringing the supply chain back from being dependent on China. Mm -hmm. The fact that we rely 90% of our medications come from China is a massive wake-up call. The fact that a lot of that protective gear was made in China is a massive wake-up call. So we need to start working with our allies, India and Australia and South Korea and Japan, and finding other ways. They are trying to become less dependent on China. We should work with them to do that. And then we should understand what China is looking for. China very much wants to have the control that Kim has over North Korea, where the Chinese people are under constant surveillance, that includes Hong Kong and Taiwan, under constant surveillance, that they know what they're saying, how they're saying it, and they control it. And that means putting protesters in jail. That means only letting them hear propaganda, and that means controlling what they think and say. And I'll tell you, if you, you look at North Korea, it's, they're like robots the way they live. That's what China is turning into and what they're trying to do. And, you know, it's, it's a terrible thing. But what we can't do is turn a blind eye to China. We need to be aggressive. We need to be strong. We need to make America and our allies stronger against China. But we also need to put China in their place, and I think that's what we're trying to do.
0: Yeah, thanks for doing that. Thanks for continuing to be able to bring that to light. The people of Hong Kong also just need to hear the voices of Americans saying, we see you. We've not forgotten about you, and we stand with you because that matters to the people of Hong Kong as well, uh, that they know that uh, they're, we, we see the oppression that they're currently facing as well. Nikki, I could literally talk to you all day. You've been a great governor for South Carolina. You know what it is to be able to lead a state through exceptionally hard times uh, as you led so well. Uh, you're so solid in your faith. I wish we could have time to be able to talk more about that and your own personal journey. Uh, you've led the United Nations, and uh, we could literally have this kind of conversation about every part of the world. And uh, and so I, I appreciate your insight in what you're doing and what you uh, continue to be able to do uh, to serve the nation. So uh, thank you so much for your time today, uh, and I appreciate that very much.
1: Well, thank you for having me, and thank you for being a calm, solid voice in Congress. We need you, your respected um, your thoughts are always needed, and everyone you know, certainly listens to you, but I certainly value you not only as a leader but as a friend and appreciate you having me on
0: today. Nikki, thank you very much. Well, I, I, I tell everyone thanks for listening into the breakdown. Hopefully this is helpful you understand a little bit more about Hong Kong and this precious value of free speech that we have that the Hong Kongers are watching disappear in front of them and the importance of us all finding ways to be able to engage to help protect that freedom, not only for Hong Kong but for the people of Taiwan and the people of the entire region and uh, what we can be aware of on that. So I'm, I'm grateful you got a chance to be able to listen in today. I hope this is helpful. Uh, we want to have open, honest, productive dialogue as a country and as a world to be able to solve some of the hardest issues that we face. But it sure does help us if we get better informed in the process. So thanks for being one of those folks that's staying in trying to become more and more better informed in this. Again, if you want to subscribe and be able to follow this, the different topics that we bring up each month, uh, you can subscribe to The Breakdown on Spotify, on iTunes, on so- SoundCloud. You can stay up to date on at so- at Senator Langford on any of the social media platforms. Just do me a favor and don't believe every comment that's written there. Uh, but if you want to be able to track us, you can do that at Senator Langford, or you can always go to our website, langford.senate.gov. Nikki, thanks again for joining us, and thanks again for being a part of the breakdown today. All
1: right. Take care.